Good morning and welcome to the Completely Unnecessary Skeptical Podcast. I'm Nathan and joining me today is Susie. Oh, hello. <laughs> and Craig. Why am I last? <laughs> and Craig. Hi. I'm last. The other way around. Oh, well, imagine I know. how that feels. Oh, well, <laughs> terrible, Susie. isn't it? Anyway. Um, just breaking. Happy holidays, everybody. <laughs> Indeed. Merry Christmas and all that. We have some feedback. Um, we were talking about the motion sickness bands with the little buttons on them that you put on your wrist and are supposed to um, save you from motion sickness. We got a message from Mark Dawson on the Facebook saying that he has some of those motion sickness bands that we mentioned. He did point out not because he thinks that they will work, um, but because they were BS and they were cheap. <laughs> and speaking $3. of cheap, he also... F- uh, that's, no, that's a different one. So oh, speaking of cheap, he also found a Mystic Band for $3. And he says it's probably about as effective as a Power Balance Band, which is what it is, effectively. Um, <laughs> now, I was thinking when I first read that, I was thinking that he'd found it as a as a joke product, like the old um, Placebo Bands. Mm. Uh, but it actually looks like it's a genuine product. Um, I can't mm. make out the name of the store, but it is only $3. And it is the sort of rubber with the hologram on it that we've all come to know and love. Um, and it has a sort of yin-yang symbol. Yin-yang symbol yeah. on it. Yeah. Um, although it doesn't have the second dot for some reason. And they're both white. So something really yin-yang. hasn't put... Well, it's not even that. It's, a, it's like someone's heard of the general concept of a yin-yang and then <laughs> completely balls it up. <laughs> Um, so anyway, that was that was that, and it was three dollars. Now I don't know where he got it from, unfortunately. Well, it looks like it looks like a two dollar shop kind of thing. The three dollars shop is what I can make out from that sticker. <laughs> um, the dollar shop, it? maybe. Yeah, maybe, maybe it is. I don't even know if this person is in New Zealand. I didn't check, so it could it could be from anywhere. Ah, well, could be three US dollars. Mm. Um, yeah, that was our feedback. Um, no corrections. This week, we do not have a notice board. No one's got any activities or events coming up. Well, the 2018 New Zealand Skeptics Conference (laughs) is coming. (laughs) (laughs) No, we've got holidays coming up. Holidays. So what do we know about the conference yet? You guys are running it? It's going to be in Auckland. In Auckland? Yeah. It's going to be in Auckland. That's what we know so far. Next year. Next year. Yeah, there's a long (laughs) way away. Let's not talk about it. Okay. So what... (laughs) Exciting big news. We actually have an interview to this week. So what we're going to do is we're going to do the news really, really quickly, and we're not going to do quite as much as we usually do. So the first thing we want to talk about is the conference. Reporting yes. back from the conference. Now, I haven't written anything down about the conference, but I'll chime in with my thoughts if you guys want to lead the way. Uh, it was good fun. Um, I especially liked the bag of goodies that we got given. That was oh, a. Um, the, the, oh, that was so good. Yeah. So we the got little, given. Um, yeah. What did we get? We got the ear seeds that we talked about was yes, it last month. That's um, we yep. got some ear candles and oh, we got uh, acupuncture needles and. Oh, um, there was like an acupressure ring or something, or toe mm. ring or something, and there was a magnet—no, magnetic um, toe rings. Um, what else? Was was I'm glad you can remember all this stuff because I actually lost my bag. 
Yes, yes, the kinesiology tables, something like that. That was it. Um, yeah, yeah, there was a whole load of stuff. And then I took them into uh, Graham Hills um, after the conference to show him what we'd, what we'd been given. And he promptly... And you completely invalidated the whole process <laughs> well, by he'd... using both of the ear candles at once in his ears. <laughs> he just put them in his ears and, and lit them. And then the really scary thing was they... They really, really went off, and it was just like, oh my god! I thought he was going to start, you know, setting fire to the studio, and I thought the smoke detectors would be going. And anyway, that's all right. We stop to me if I'm out. wrong, but when you're using those ear candles, are you actually supposed to have your head on the side and the candle pointing up? I think so. That, that's my impression. Normal, and the yeah, the candles would that just change? Out of... Oh well, it wouldn't change the effectiveness, but um, it would mean that the wax would fall into the candle. Right, okay. For the effect of the, this is the earwax being pulled out. Mm. Um, and also... Probably the, burn less quickly. Wax. Okay. Yes, yes, it probably would. And it, the hot wax would be falling towards you as opposed to sort of on your clothes or on the I, very expensive I do actually have, equipment. I do have a picture you know. of Graham with his ears on fire. So I, we should use that because it was really actually oh, yeah, quite yeah, frightening. Yeah. It was a yeah. lot of flame. <laughs> <laughs> we would have made some good headlines, though. <laughs> anyway, that was quite fun. Uh, yeah. um, so yes, that was awesome. What else? Mm, speakers. Um, speakers. Highlight of the good speakers. speakers for you guys. Yeah, and one crappy one. <laughs> I the skipped what? that one. Oh, did you? Oh, <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, who was my highlight? Well, Cara Santa Maria, come on. Yeah. Yeah, Carol yes, was pretty okay. good. She Karen, was very good. Carol was, was about the best. Hi, MO. Hmm. But the crappy one we're talking about is um, a guy by the name of Vinnie Eastwood, who's a conspiracy Oh, you're talking theorist. about that guy. I didn't hear what you said because you guys keep cutting it in and out. Yes, that, oh, that was a... Um, okay. That was bizarre. Yeah. So there was no... It's kind of was like no embarrassing, really. at the beginning that this guy was going to come. And so I said, tell, tell everyone what he, what he actually talked about. Uh, he he talked about all the conspiracy theories that he believes in. So he believes that nine eleven was an inside job. He believes that he mentioned the fluoridation. Moon no, I don't think he mentioned the moon landings. But he mentioned <laughs> um, fluoridation and right. how fluoride was a neurotoxin, and that the chances of a New Zealander getting cancer is. 100%. 100%. But he justified <laughs> that some not everybody gets cancer because some people get cancer more some than once. Some people get cancer twice. <laughs> yeah. Which is pretty flawless logic, actually, if you think about it. Oh, my goodness. Um, so I, I asked him a question about how much, what the what the dose of fluoride was in the water supply that would actually be poisonous. And, and he ordered to try and tease out of him the idea of a a dose response relationship and um he kind of gave a bullshit answer i'm just (laughs) which i don't really remember anything at all to be honest it was just sort of waffling and 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 maniacal laughter at his own jokes yeah it's just weird very very strange and anyway so here's my my issue with it was that there was no warning at the beginning to say hey guys this is our token crazy believer guy and so i sat down for this for this talk thinking oh i wonder what this guy's talking well about. conspiracy theories this will be fun and every talk should be judged on its merits you should not <laughs> prejudge 
No, I realise that, but I think I probably would have enjoyed it a lot more if I had been looking at it as an exercise in hearing from the other side or... <laughs> well, surely it didn't take you long to realise. <laughs> no, I suppose not. Oh, no, I don't, um, I don't know what I was You got thinking. into the crazy pretty quick. I enjoyed um, Ali Campbell's talk about the evolution of evolution teaching in, in schools. That was interesting. Yeah, um, I, I thought that was very interesting. And also, actually. just all of the stuff around uh, you know the organisations that are trying to get to teachers and librarians and schools by sending bullshit stuff, basically. Um, and then I really enjoyed uh, Vanessa Jordan's talk. So she's the Cochrane Fellow. Oh, that's right. She, yeah. oh, she yes. explained how the whole kind of Cochrane thing um, comes about came about and how they do it and yeah there were a couple of gems that i learned from her talk so one is that new zealand um has the highest number of cochrane reviews per capita yes we write the most cochrane reviews as a on a population base and um and we're beating out beating out australia by a small margin by a small yeah so it's yeah Yes. We're still being them. Um, and the other thing that she said, oh, the, the um, and about the guy who, um, who founded the whole thing, and how he had been, and his name's not Cochrane. No, yeah. so it's named after his mentor. Yes. Yeah. But this guy was offered a knighthood, and the way he decided whether he would take it or not was by writing a series of letters to different people, like funding bodies or something. And half of them right. he signed Sir, whatever, and the other half he didn't. And he got more responses and faster responses to the letters marked Sir. So he accepted the knighthood. Yes. Yeah. And when they took the <laughs> space, space knighthood photos, he had photos of like everybody else on the yes, walls he didn't of want the room. The he didn't want him. to be the center of attention. Yeah. The thing I thought was quite interesting um, that I took away from that was that New Zealand gets free access to the Cochrane reports. Um, yes, paid for by the Ministry of Health, I guess. Health, yes. Or by the government some of some sort. Government body, yeah. Uh, and, and Norway pays for access for a whole bunch of low and middle income countries. Yes. I Isn't that nice? Yeah. Okay. I'm so going really to rush everybody along because we are, okay. don't have Sorry. much time for all this. Um, anything else particularly impressive <laughs> that you want to mention? Oh, my panel, obviously, which was fantastic. Yeah, it was all right. Yeah, it was a much better panel than it was a much better panel than usual. Actually, I did quite enjoy <laughs> it. I usually find panels a bit tedious because they most mostly tend to be sort of off the cuff uh, opinions that don't seem to tend to count for much. But um, no, it was actually yeah, quite whereas good. Whereas Susie sneakily fed everyone the questions beforehand so they could all think about it. Yes. yes. <laughs> Not that much beforehand. No, no, I saw you talking to them half in the, an hour in the beforehand. beforehand. Well, at least, yeah, but they did get a chance to think about the answers, yes. which is a, which is a good, good thing. Okay. Um, okay, anything else mm. we need to say about the conference? Oh, one thing I was going to say um, about the conspiracy guy, to be fair, the organisers did tell me that they did put the fact that he was a believer on the website, um, which, in my defence, I had to go digging to find, but they did make an effort of some sort to tell us that he was uh, not what you call a serious, uh, serious speaker. Um, anyway, moving on to some news items. I think you should commit um, write a letter of complaint. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. Compl- I didn't complain about the last mm. conference where the the dinner was mumble 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 mumble. 
<laughs> they ran out of desserts at this one and as well. And the same thing. <laughs> the same thing. They actually ran out of food as well, the main course. Um, it was more yeah. of a smorgasbord. Anyway, we're not going to talk about that. Um, people that were there know what <laughs> it happened. It won't be like that in Auckland again. No, I would, I would hope not. Okay, so someone wants to talk about Roy Moore some more. Well, I, I came across this video today. Oh, um, this is so his, it's a very a pretty yeah. old video from back in the twenty years old. About twenty years 1997. old. And so this is Roy Moore who we talked about last time who's um running for Congress Senate. or something like that Senate. in Senate, Alabama. Senator, yeah. yeah. Um and so he's the darling of the Republicans, but he's um also basically a pedophile. Yeah, basically a pedophile. So um, in his 30s, he was um, chasing teenage girls. Which would be a fever. Uh, and and anyway, s- surprise, surprise, he's a creationist and, um, and has this video where he's talking about how uh, kids commit drive-by shootings because they're taught evolution. It's um, quite fascinating to watch. Hmm. But anyway, we'll put a link in the notes and if you really want to um, have a laugh go and have a look at that i haven't looked at that i can't imagine it's that funny but yes um <laughs> christians and fingerprints <clears throat> this was on um the friendly atheist i want to say yes oh, you're going to tell us about this nathan aren't you so there's a christian woman who evangelical christian woman worth mentioning um who was asked or i suppose required to submit fingerprints to her employer for a security check. Um, I'm guessing this is sort of a standard, um, a standard. What do you call it? Procedure. Uh, Condition of employment. Well, it sounds probably. like she. No, she'd been working there for a long time. Oh no, she has. Yeah, yeah. Then yeah. they had a new new policy. Then they had a new yeah. thing come in, new policy. So, and she. <laughs> the ridiculous thing said, is, no. so she says no. I don't want to do that. Because it's against her religion, uh, blah, 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 the mark of the devil. She won't get into heaven. I, she, I won't get into heaven because I'm marked the mark of the devil. Um, <laughs> it makes no sense. No, it doesn't. That's, that's what, it's not like... Is she worried about the... Is she worried about the ink? Well... <laughs> she does know it washes off, right? That's kind of the point. Is It's not the mark of the beast. Okay. The mark of the beast, if it's anything, is a tattoo on your wrist or your forehead or uh, modern day Christians would say it'll be a, a, a chip or an RFID or something like that um, is the mark mm. of the beast so not only does it not make any sense but um, she belongs to no recognised religious group but bases her beliefs on the teachings of her father so it's not even she's not even a standard evangelical <laughs> denomination this is just some, some shit that some shit that something's made up Pretty much defines. But yes, all right. Um, <laughs> but uh, so, so the the story is that not only is she is she deny is she doing this and refusing to be fingerprinted, um, but the court has ruled that her refusal to adhere to the fingerprint policy is similar to getting days off in order to celebrate religious holidays. Which I just don't even begin to see how those things are even vaguely related. Um, mm. 
It sounds like one of these sincerely held religious beliefs that they use as an excuse for almost anything. But yeah, I mean, a religious holiday is my book says, my magic book says, I have to have a day off in, I don't know when they are, February or something, to fast for the whole day and rub the blood of a lamb on the door of my house or something. And I genuinely believe that to be true. Therefore, I'm going to take a religious holiday. Which makes sense within their worldview. The the book does actually say you have to take a day off and rub the blood of a lamb on your door or whatever it says. But the Bible doesn't say anything at all or any religious book about having your fingerprints taken. But that's the whole point. It's her dad who who says it. Okay, yeah, well, that was all. It was just interesting and I wanted to rant about it. Weird. And he probably has a gun, so I'd be scared of him. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, there is a chance it'll be appealed. Um, I imagine that the employers probably will. Maybe that, and that it's a possibility, it did occur to me, is that it's possible that the judge wants to kick it up to a higher court and has maybe failed it with a very weak argument in order to advance the process. I don't know how that works. I don't know if that's even a thing that people do. Um, But maybe. Yep. Hmm. So the next thing is a GMO person using CRISPR on their DNA. Now, I haven't even seen this. This looks fascinating. (laughs) So I'm not not sure about this one, actually. People doing it to themselves. well, partly uh, it's because I can't read the article because it's in New Scientist, and New Scientist has got a as a you know paywall. it's right. paywall. Um, so the title is "Biohackers are using CRISPR on their DNA, and we can't stop it." People are starting to alter their own DNA with cheap, easy gene editing technology. Is it time to regulate? So CRISPR? what is what is CRISPR? So yeah, CRISPR okay. is the so CRISPR is the the basically the latest. Um, kind of technology to do gene editing. It's pretty cool. And actually we'll link to the Royal Society have just put up some cool um, resources around what it is so that sort of explains it a bit more. Um, and then, so what happened was this guy who, um, Josiah Zayner, who's a biochemist apparently, um, was doing a lecture about human genetic engineering, streaming live on Facebook apparently, and he whipped out a vial and a syringe and injected himself. Okay. Uh, and so he... Uh, I've had a look looked him up and he um, he's got this thing called um, Odin or something um, and uh, so he's basically got a website where you can buy gene engineering kits but he's also selling this open human plasmid for twenty dollars you can buy um, a plasmid so oh so a plasmid if you don't know what that is is a bit of extra it's a bit of genetic material that basically can replicate itself outside of a chromosome um, and so what this one has got is um, so where where does that come from? We well, well you you can I mean they they I, I mainly come from bacteria I guess. Okay. Um, so this one has got all the the um, replication sites that allow bacteria to recognize them and 
make them. So you can get a bacteria, you can add it to a bacteria and then get a bacteria to make it. So you can make lots and lots and lots of copies of it. Um, but then apparently it's also got a site that will allow it to jump into um, a human, well, well, it's a bit, a bit unclear about what exactly it will do. They're saying it will basically be expressed by human cells. So if it gets inside of a human cell, it can then also express itself, which means that if it's got particular genes in it, it should express those genes. Right. Um, and the plasma they've made is essentially, the, I mean, it's kind of really cool stuff that you, um, it's a bit like sort of, uh, um, you can kind of cut the, the DNA up and then put other genes inside of it. So um, they've made this as essentially a backbone that you can then add any gene that you would want to enter, add to yourself into this yeah. plasmid. And that's and then the you CRISPR can... technique. No, but, the CRISPR no? technique is then for how you can basically get it to go into your cell, I think, or how you can get it to into right. your cell. But doesn't the that's CRISPR technique really... basically snip out a bit of yeah, DNA Yeah, so that's and not really clear else? from this what that whether that's in here. It's kind of, it's not really quite clear hmm. to me what's going on here. Um, but this is the one he sells that basically says, you know, here's the sequence of it. Here's where you can put whatever gene that you're interested in. Go, uh, go ahead and basically engineer yourselves. And it's not clear to me whether it would actually right. work. Right. Like so, he, so if he's injected into himself, like is it actually going to go go into a human cell and then and then basically be integrated or expressed or whatever? Um, Seems like a pretty silly thing to do, though, to experiment oh, by yeah. yourself. Well, then, well, but reading actually, so reading the site, reading, he put a blog post up that sort of explained, you know, like I'm making this plasma kind of thing. He doesn't sound like a very well man. Uh, I think he he might need some help. So right. Okay. Just, he just doesn't sound very well. Um, anyway, uh, but yeah, but I'm more interested in whether. So the way that we um, find out whether something has been engineered is you have uh, essentially a marker that lets you know that that, that has happened. Mm. So for us, that's usually like our glow-in-the-dark genes or it can be um, resistance to an antibiotic. So they add the antibiotic and only the cells that have got the resistance gene will survive. Um, so I don't know what it is that people... Well, what so putting something in... You'd want to be it's to be something you could then see whether it actually worked and was being expressed. Right. Um, for, so example, unless, for example, made, made him glow in the dark. Yes, exactly. So that is one of the things that people started talking about. It's like, oh, great! So we can add the green fluorescent protein, and then we can make ourselves glow. Um, that's true. I'd, I would be. In, I would be into that. Okay. Just yeah. Of course you would, Nathan. Um, but I was. It just got me wondering. Maybe, you know, if you're injecting mm. it in, is your immune response gonna basically chomp all the DNA up? Is it actually going to get into the human cells? I don't know. So, mm. no, well, interesting. Bucks. Maybe you're a, twenty bucks in a lifetime to... of regret. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> indeed. It would be interesting to talk about, I guess, maybe the ethics and and ramifications of that sort of thing as well. Well, actually, okay. So this so this is then related to something that's happened this week in New Zealand, which is that a whole bunch of documents have been released through an OIA request, so an Official Information Act request, not here but in the US, around um, DARPA, which is the US military funding agency. Um, and they uh, are basically funding... Um, so, well, it's kind of interesting. So these gene editing techniques, there are there is essentially a way that they could be used to try and make things extinct. 
So the 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 immediate aims for these would be like diseases, uh, mosquitoes, things we don't like, stuff stuff that we don't want, right? Um, So here in New Zealand, the obvious use for this technology would be predator-free New Zealand, right? Ah. Actually, this might be one of the ways, one of the techniques that we can use to get rid of the predators. but the, the documents that were released, there's sort of a little bit of a, um, you know, don't talk about, uh, basically just don't talk about a lot of stuff. Don't let anybody know who you get your funding from. It's all, it was all a bit, it was all a bit cagey. Hmm. Um, and so there's been discussion, a lot of discussion on social media actually about how these sort of, um, the downplaying of these technologies uh, and given that they're potentially being funded by the US military, what that might mean and what the US military might want to use them for. Mm. And especially in the current political climate, you know, you can't call the US the good guys, right? Um, So, you know, that's, it's, yeah, the extinction Mm. of rats and possums is one thing. Uh, What else could the technology be used for? Um, Mexicans. So it's, well, precisely. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so it's kind of interesting that there's, there's, there's a need for a really there is a need for more open debate about this. And there are, I guess there's been some meeting of scientists and things to sort of start sort of thrashing out some of the stuff, but it shouldn't be done just by scientists. It should be done. These conversations should be had by everybody because people should be thinking about what are the ramifications? What are the other potential misuses of the technology? Mm -hmm. Um, How do people feel about that? Uh, Because one of the documents was also about um, New Zealand's offshore islands being a really fantastic place to test some of these technologies. So, you know, taking islands that don't have any pests on them and introducing some pests to basically see them whether the techniques would work. But so it was also isolated. the idea of, yeah, but it was also the idea yeah. of the US going, oh, New Zealand would be a really good place to test some of these <laughs> it's stuff. It's not here. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, and my friend Kate, you know, she's a Holocaust historian. So she she knows an awful lot about stuff that the rest of us don't know because it's like awful stuff to study. Um, and she's very concerned that we're not, you know, we aren't like the scientists are getting all excited and the predator free New Zealand are getting all excited. You know, these technologies will be great if we want to achieve these aims, but we're not thinking about the, the really, on, yeah. yeah, we're not really thinking about the wider ramifications because we've got this kind of like, Oh, but you know, it wouldn't possibly be used for anything nefarious. And it's like, well, you only really have to look back at human history and not very far Mm. to find out how badly we can misuse technology. So mm. something we need Indeed. to be talking more about. Maybe in yes. one of our Still. talk sections. Indeed. Still, th- th- this exact same conversation could have been had about GMOs. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And probably um, was yeah. by scientists mm. and people whose job it is to think about these sorts of things. Mm. Well, that would and we need to be just as historians. careful with this <laughs> as we did with GMOs. Anyway, moving yeah. on to coming up next, we have an interview with Cara Santa Maria. Cara Santa Maria, welcome to the cusp. Thank you for having me. <coughs> and Cara, not Cara. You can say Cara. Can I say that's right? I thought that made you mad. Because you're from New Zealand. Oh, really? Just... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah you, you get a pass. I'm going to get confused now. It's only because in America, there are people named Cara and there are people named Cara. Right. right. And my name is Cara, not Cara. But of course, if you have an accent and Cara is really awkward for you to say. Oh, no, not really. I don't mind. No, that's weird because whenever I hear your name Mm -hmm. on the podcast, to me, 
it's Cara. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because Cara, it's like halfway in between, kind of Cara. But it's different than the name Cara. Cara. Yeah. That's a totally <laughs> so different name. It just sounds like a posh accent anyway. Right, exactly. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it um, so you are a science communicator mm -hmm. and a podcast, although I suppose that's kind of the same thing. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, um, which came first? Uh, definitely Cyclone came first. Yeah, yeah. Right, of course. Yeah. Okay. Um, you are currently studying. So I'm going to say psychology. Mm -hmm. yep. Clinical psychology. And of course, you are on the Skip's Guide to the Universe as well. Yeah. Um, so tell us a bit about yourself other than that, your background. You're a, you're a like, Mormon. other than that, what the hell else do I do? <laughs> um, yeah, I, was, I grew up you Mormon. grew up Mormon. Yeah, that's always an interesting story. Tell Is that, that, so here in, in New Zealand, are people generally religious or not very religious? We're about, according to, depending on who you ask, we're about to hit 50%. Okay. Non-religious. Wow, down. that's going high. Down. Yeah. And oh, even... One of the speakers... Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm oh, no. interrupt you. Go ahead. Go ahead. One of the speakers today was talking about how actually he says religiosity in general seems to be on the rise. Hmm. So that was a really depressing uh, Kind of in general, though, yeah, over yeah, the yeah. top. And worldwide as well, yeah. Well, and so you, if you're approaching 50% non-religious, are your religious people the same as sort of American religious people. You're asking a lot of questions for an interview. I know. <laughs> we're, we're a lot less committed to religion here yeah. in New Zealand. Our, our whack it, job. Although the whack job here is that Nathan used to be a, a former, uh, he was a former younger creationist, uh, fundamentalist. But that doesn't mean the same thing as it probably does to you. Yeah, because, yeah. I mean, I believe the Bible was literally true, six days, blah, 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 blah. But I was not protesting outside abortion clinics, although we probably have some people that do that, but they're not as bad as, say, Westboro. Yeah, uh, Westboro, that's the thing, Westboro is our extreme too, but it's not representative that's, of, yeah, you, you no, know, and I think it's just a sheer numbers game, there are more crazy kind of young earth creationists in the US, simply yes. because there are way more people in yeah. the US, well, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, I, I, but we certainly don't have the, the number of churches and on every corner. Like, no, 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 but we are staying in a weirdly Catholic corner of the city. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's just the venue. That's I just the venue, exactly. Yeah. It doesn't extend out much past and that's it the churches i think are relatively self-contained as well they don't really get into everything quite as much but you do have coming back to your question about mormonism you do have a mormon population albeit a very small one right because yeah, yeah. they're missionaries they just have tentacles everywhere uh, yeah they do they do um and from my experience it seems to be that, that it has infected the pacific island um, mm. Population. Here. Oh, that you're seems right. Quite common. Yeah. yeah, I think uh, that in um. Oh gosh, what am I thinking? I knew a lot of people from Tonga. Is that around? Tonga. Yeah, yeah, from Tonga. Is that around here? Uh, not, it's, not, well, it's, it's, it's across. It's across the road. I know. It's like around here like is also a relative term. A three-hour flight from New Zealand. Yeah, that's quite yeah. close, actually. Yes, right. I'm going to Hong Kong on Monday, and Hong Kong from. Auckland is 11 hours. Yeah, exactly. It's and I'm like, no, but it's on the same side of the world. <laughs> yeah, but it's like it's, you're going up. Uh, but it's only like 12 hours back to Los Angeles from oh, here. Yeah. How is that okay. even? I'm not Probably good at Probably to do with the Coriolis effect. There you go. I'm like, hey. I'm not good at geometry, apparently. Um, but yes, I was raised Mormon, which is common, not the most common in the U.S., obviously, but it is kind of an evangelical religious, um, yeah. Christian religious right. sect. And so, and there's a lot of that going on, especially I grew up in the Bible Belt, as they call it, in, in the South, in Texas. And so 
it wasn't really typical for like people still thought weird things about Mormons and didn't know a lot about them. But if you said I'm Mormon in front of a bunch of like peers, my, my, my classmates, they weren't like, what's that? You know, yeah, they, they understood they, it. Yeah. yeah. Because they were all religious as well. Just a different kind of religious. So they recognized your religion, but they just, yeah. it was a little bit wacky. A little things. wackier than theirs, which right. really it's all shades of gray at a certain well, point. Well, I know all about that religion anyway, because I've seen the book of Mormon. There you go. <laughs> well, honestly, it's a really good education <laughs> and it's so funny to, mo I saw it with an ex-boyfriend and he said that while we were watching it together, like there were a few things that I laughed at that he didn't get the joke, <laughs> but he was like, that must've been so funny to, I was like, you have no idea. So good. Well, the reports are that apparently the Mormons were going to see it, expecting oh, yeah. to be really upset. And they came away and go, yeah, that's about right. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah, that's about right. I can see the only thing that they would be really upset about is like, the hardcore Mormons probably wouldn't see it anyway because hardcore Mormons won't see things that are rated R. That's like yeah, a, it's kind sure. of against the religion. Yeah. And so if there were a rating system for musicals, that would be R for sure. <laughs> and so like my father probably never saw it and he probably wouldn't have taken it lightly simply because there's no, so much like language. They wouldn't have found it funny. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But conceptually, yeah. it's not far off. Yeah. Right. <laughs> And it's quite, you know what, I think Trey Parker and Matt Stone did such a good job of, it was a little in the belt way. Like, it was a little making fun of themselves in a way, because mm -hmm. one of them okay. was raised Mormon yeah. as well. And so, although it took the piss out of Mormonism, it did it in a sort of weirdly respectful <laughs> way, which I think is why a lot of Mormons were kind of like, uh, yeah, that's pretty much us. I didn't get a lot of respect out of that. I kind I of did. I imagine myself as a Mormon and thinking... I mean, okay, it's all true, but they're definitely playing it up for the laughs. Well, yeah, they hammed it up for the laughs, and, you know, but what, they never presented Mormons as bad people, necessarily. They presented them as maybe a little bit misguided, misguided. Yeah, and they presented them as incredibly, but they presented them as incredibly kind. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so yeah. I think it was a really accurate reflection yeah. of what a lot of Mormons are like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, very cool. <laughs> So uh, tell us a bit more about the projects you're involved with. Mm. You're a busy, busy person, which leads to another question I'm going to ask you in a minute. Okay, hold that thought. Um, projects I'm involved in, I am busy. I mean, I think number one right now is school, if you call mm. that a project. It takes up a lot of time. Um, and, you know, this is my first semester, so sort of my remembering how hard being in school is semester. Yeah, yeah. Lots of papers, lots of readings. I was just actually submitting a statistics assignment before I came to, to you guys to podcast with you. Um, and then, yeah, I work on two television shows. Currently, I've been recording stories for Explorer on National Geographic, mm -hmm. and I um, have recorded a few stories recently for Bill Nye Saves the World, and we'll see if that continues on, if the show continues on. Um... Other TV things I do are usually one-offs. Uh, you know, sometimes I have a regular gig, sometimes I don't. That's sort of the nature of freelance life. So, you know, I just recently wrapped, actually I wrapped on it a year or so ago, but um, just recently went to air was a Smithsonian Earth project called um, The Secret World of Animal Sleep. And it's a really beautiful like illustrated kind of dark and mysterious and quite lovely um, multi-part series about 
the interesting science behind how animals oh. sleep. Yeah, yeah it's really it was really cool to be involved. You in. mentioned that on your podcast. Yeah. You interviewed the I interviewed illustrator. the illustrator. Um, tell us more about that because that's actually sounds really interesting. Yeah, it's um, it, she's really talented, and she does this really brilliant style where it's like watercolor with lots of layers, and then she kind of scans in all of the hand painted art and uses software to help her almost puppeteer the animals so she kind of segments them at their joints and studies a lot of um kind of science illustration to know where those joints are and exactly how they move and then she sort of puppets them so it has that paper cutout kind Mm. of whimsical vibe to it almost a self-parking sort of Almost. Yeah, it's like imagine if South Park were quite beautiful and a little bit psychedelic. <laughs> I'm going to tell Matt. It kind of, yeah, it kind of has that, that vibe. Um, and I was just the narrator on that. So I had the easy part. I came into the studio twice. It was really cool, actually. We recorded all of the episodes only after a couple of them had been storyboarded and a couple were roughly animated. And then later when they had more animations and also when some new science came up. Yeah. Right, and we had to change some of the audio. I came back in and re-recorded, and mm. so that was really fun. So it seems like you've got a great voice for narration. You think so? so? I, I, well, I, you've got a really confident, I don't know, natural-sounding voice. So have you had any vocal training? Oh, you know, it's interesting, yes. It's so funny that you say that because I find my voice really obnoxious. But everybody has But everybody has that. You're right, you're right. I actually was a singer before I ever oh, went right. into science. I was a trained singer all through um, through primary and secondary school, and then I actually had every intention of attending university to become a vocal jazz performance major. Oh, nice. And so that's where I started and sort of realized that when I was taking a lot of jazz theory And the theory, not so much, but more the practice and the piano. You have to take a lot of piano and, um, and what's the word I'm looking for? Composition. It was sort of sucking all the joy out of this previous, (laughs) I would say, extracurricular. Exactly. It was more of a hobby. Although I did do it a lot. Once it became my academic interest, I realized that I wasn't really enjoying it as much. And also maybe there wasn't like a big market for professional jazz singers out there. (laughs) Well, it's a crapshoot, isn't it? It really is. Exactly. And so I did. I I switched gears after that, but that may have something to do with Mm -hmm. my, how I speak. I'm not sure. So how often do you still sing? It's one of those funny things like, okay, do you guys play any instruments? I'm a pianist. Oh, you're a pianist. Okay, so pianos... And I love karaoke. Similar. Okay, everyone loves karaoke. Um, (laughs) For different reasons. Um, Piano is a bit similar. Guitar, I I, I use as an example a lot. So if you're like a guitar player, you can just pull out your guitar and just start playing. And everybody's like, it's cool, man. That guy's playing guitar. Like if you're a singer, you can't just... Like, break into song, you know, like, wherever you are. People are like, it's no, fucking weird. It's <laughs> yeah. weird. So it's like, when do you sing? I mean, I sing in the shower, I guess. <laughs> I sing in the car. But I haven't really done anything with it professionally for quite some time. For a while, I was, I was taking voice lessons. Los Angeles is a good place to have that kind of performance bug. And so I have the time. And is that because everybody's trying to get into Hollywood? Absolutely. Like if you're a singer, there, you know, vocal coaches are a dime a dozen in LA. And so if you really do want to keep your chops up simply for the sake of not forgetting how to read music and, you know, maintaining those skills, you can do it pretty readily in LA. And so it's something that I periodically will do, but then I'll usually fall out of it because I get quite busy, but I have no intention of doing it professionally. No, no, no. <laughs> what about amateur? Do you do any amateur theatre? No, I, I've never done theatre. Yeah, we've done amateur really? theatre before. Really? Yeah. So I always, um, and I don't know if it's really fair, but I always kind of 
tell myself that I'm not a good actress, but who, who knows whether or not they're a good actress until they try. Indeed. My biggest fear is that I can't remember lines very well. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> right? And it's a bit necessary. So I work in TV yeah. all the time, but I have the... Um, you the special perk. Right. Well, and also I get to play myself on TV. Yeah, you know, yeah, so I don't right. have to remember. Not, not becoming another character. And most of the work I do is nonfiction, so I just get to speak from the gut. I don't right. have to. You don't to, have to make it up because uh, it's true. It, it's all true, yeah. and I don't have to remember like perfectly worded things. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you do yeah. these stand-ups, and they want them to be by you know verbatim. But you just rehearse them a few times, knock them out, and then cut scene, do another one. But mm. doing a whole play, that would scare the living piss out of me. <laughs> I don't think I could do it. So, yeah, like I mentioned before, you're a very busy person. Mm -hmm. Are you the sort of stereotypical type A, I always have to be busy, I just huh. can't not no. work, you know? No, no. no. So that's a... Uh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an amalgamation of that because I really I like kind of work hard, play hard, and when I say I play hard, it's more I work hard, relax hard. Um, I don't really go out and do like adventure sports, but I love you know getting massages and I love going to the Korean spa and I love just like reading and oh my god, I love sleep so much. Sleep is the best thing ever. <laughs> I know it's right? so well, good. Well, when it's good quality, yes. Have you tried sleep? It's yeah, so good. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I highly recommend. It. Um, but sometimes I sleep too much, which is problematic. It's more that I do, I think some of the issues that I've had previously and still do with depression um, can get tied up sometimes in kind of senses of accomplishment or feeling like you're crossing things off a list. And if you stagnate too much, I feel like that can kind of interact with your mental health a bit. But at the same time, I do think it's important to work in breaks and to work in room and time to just take care of oneself, which we don't always do. So I actually think I find a pretty good balance with that. I think that's a very interesting perspective yeah. for coming from an American, because I think, well, I guess the perception is that many Americans are in therapy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and we don't have that sort of industry over here. It would be very rare for anybody. Really? really oh, absolutely. Therapy. therapy is the sort of thing you go to if you, I guess, if you in an, an emergency kind yeah. of thing. I see. Yeah. So it's more like crisis intervention. Yeah. I guess, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. That's not to say there aren't people who don't get regular therapy sure. just because it makes them feel better. I'm sure there are people that do that too, yeah. but I think it's rarer than... Than it would be interesting. So, and there's there's a lot of stigma still connected to it in the United States, although it is common. And so that's kind right. of a weird thing. Like, I guess I would understand stigma if it were tied to something being very taboo. But it's such a kind of oxymoron that in the U.S., like so many people go to therapy, but nobody admits it. <laughs> you know? And does anybody actually get better? Exactly. And so I do think that for individuals who have um, kind of life circumstances where let's say they're dealing with grief or or bereavement, they're dealing right. with the loss of a job, they're dealing with divorce, those kinds of things, therapy can be incredibly useful. And also people with, um, I guess what we would consider traditional psychopathology. So somebody who has a diagnosis of depression or anxiety or schizophrenia or bipolar disorder and, you know, all the other, um, the other things out there, it can be incredibly useful, but there are different kinds of therapy and there are different kinds of practitioners. And I don't think we do a good enough job of educating people of that. Yeah. I didn't really understand fully the way that psychotherapists approach therapy until I started training as one. And right. so I'm not sure how a consumer and somebody like myself who's been going to therapy since I was quite young, if I didn't know 
the difference between the orientations, like the theoretical orientations of different therapists and what right. kinds of things that they can offer clients or patients. I don't know how an yeah, everyday how, how person would know. You, exactly. you just choose because it's like, oh, it's in my insurance and it's like yeah, a short right. drive from my house. Yeah. But that doesn't mean they're <laughs> going to be right for you. Yeah, right? It's really not. And so, I, and also maybe if you have a very particular problem, your significant other just passed away and you can't seem to get out of bed in the morning, then you might go to a grief counselor and you know you're looking for a grief counselor. Or a yeah, or a psychic. Yeah, if you're, if you're going about it a different way. <laughs> um, I personally want to train to become a death and dying psychotherapist, which doesn't mean that I want to work in grief counseling. It means that I want to work with people who know they are dying and, and right. work with them during those final stages. Um, and so, of course, the hope would be to be able to market yourself as such so that mm. people know, okay, I think I need help. And so do you this. think there would be, you would be able to have different approaches depending upon whether the person was, was religious and believed that there was going to be an afterlife versus somebody who was not religious and thought, well, they're death and dying, that's the end. But... Yeah, I think I, I would. And I hope that I would always have the kind of empathy and the capacity to really get to know the person first and be able to op offer the type of um, guidance and the type of companionship that they would need based on their, you know, personal view of the world. Because the truth is, I think at that stage in life, it's nobody's job to come in and try and cha change someone's oh, oh, mind, no, no. right? So it's really about understanding it's about, where they're carry on with Exactly. You know, and how do we make this the most yeah. dignified and the most meaningful and the most profound um, experience that we can? And so as somebody who is secular, I think I actually will hopefully offer something unique in that a lot of Americans are religious, mm. right? So a lot of people go to their their um, like their their what are they called priests or you know different kind of religious leaders for guidance during that time, and that's I think quite mm. beneficial to them. But some people who might be in a hospital setting or a hospice setting and want uh, a professional, you know, a psychotherapist to yeah. to be by their side. Um, what if they were secular? And then their therapist was like, don't worry, you'll meet everybody else on the other side. Or I'd be <laughs> like, yeah, like I, if I were dying, and that's what my therapist was saying, like, you know, heaven is such a beautiful place. I'd be like, yeah, you're really not listening to me, are you? And so I hope to be able to offer a varied perspective because it's quite not easy, but I think in a way it's easier if you are a secular thinker to empathize with these other viewpoints, especially if you were raised religious like I was, than it is for somebody who is very religious to empathize with a non-religious viewpoint yeah. because your religion is kind of telling you that what you believe is the one true thing and that what other people believe aren't right. Sure. So that person yeah. thinks that they're an atheist, but they're really not an atheist. So they're actually going to meet their maker, but we'll just pretend. Yeah. Deep down, they know that God's real. Exactly. They're just suppressing Exactly. Like, yeah. there's no atheist in foxholes. In some way. You've got Absolutely. To try and... and so, but I think as a secular thinker, obviously, if somebody truly believes that they're going to meet their maker, then we can talk about that in a way that's meaningful to them, but it's not um, a requirement. And we it's not a personal vendetta for you to yeah. try and convert them. You know no. they're wrong. But you're willing to let them believe well, I don't really, And the thing is, I don't really know that they're wrong. I mean, I have a pretty good idea that they're wrong, and I think that they're wrong. But ultimately, um, I don't even know if – I don't think that there is anything that happens after we die. I think we, you know, rot in the ground, and that's biology, and that's physics, and, you know, mm, sure. th that's the way that things work. But what we often, I think, ignore as skeptics – 
is the power and the um, influence of our own personal narratives. So whether or not something actually exists after we die, which I don't think it does, but regardless of that fact, the kind of grace or the faith that some people have in thinking that something happens after they die can be incredibly meaningful for them. It's not really about what reality is in those situations. Yeah, they're never going to know, are they? It's, nobody's ever going <laughs> to That's the whole point, right? And so I do see a kind of a branch of skeptics and atheists who are out to prove, like disprove the existence of God. And for mm -hmm. me, it's like, I don't really want to waste my time with that. And I also don't think that it's actually a very um, benevolent thing to do. No. No. Because I think all it really serves to do is alienate you no, sure. and to offend and, unless, you. Unless you've got somebody you know personally that is uh, perhaps adversely harmed mm -hmm. or yeah, adversely affected by their beliefs. Exactly. So, and yeah. As, as a death and dying psychotherapist, my aim will not be probably to work with people that are like fanatical young earth creationists that are on their deathbed. I would think that they would be reaching out to their priests anyway. Yeah. It's yeah. more likely that I'm going to be talking to people who are, you know, religious in the kind of more more typical sense yeah. or non-religious in the more typical Cultural sense. Religion. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so death and dying people, to what extent either in your training or in your own personal um, beliefs and opinions. Do you have any opinions on end-of-life choices? Oh, yeah. I'm a, so I'm a big advocate of um, euthanasia or assisted suicide. Uh, dying with dignity, I think, is a, a better kind of label that politicians are starting to use. Um, in the United States, on the West Coast, and sprinkled throughout, we're starting to see... The United States has a weird governmental structure in that we have this unified federal government, but then individual states have a lot of power as well. And so something like... Um, death with dignity is sort of a state by state situation. And for a long time, Oregon has had death with dignity, um, Washington as well. And uh, California just recently passed a death with dignity um, act. I don't think it's yet gone into effect, but it will be something that I think will be important it, in my career aspirations mm -hmm. to become comfortable with, because I think it might actually be a big part of psychotherapy. Yeah, right. Um Obviously, if somebody is dying and they're in pain, I feel very strongly that they should have the choice, right? Sure, to do. Yeah, yeah. And I think most of the arguments to, against death with dignity are are really just religious arguments. I a lot of slippery sloping. Yeah, yeah. The, oh, oh, death panels and everyone's just going to get murdered by their children when they're <laughs> exactly. Or this, or this weird thing where it some somehow um, makes suicidality a cultural norm or something like that. Which, yeah. I, and you know, I have suicide booths on every yeah, corner. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I have sort of a different perspective on suicide than a lot of psychotherapists, and so that's something that I'm really interested in exploring more deeply too, because I, of course, I think that suicide should be prevented. Um, I just don't know if like the at all costs model is really the best model because I yeah. do think that some people have exhausted a lot of their resources mm -hmm. and that they are consenting adults. Yeah, and yeah. That... We have a big problem in New Zealand mm -hmm. with youth suicide. Yeah, and, and that's, that's different. Obviously that's a pick Different it's a different thing with kids. It's a different yeah. thing with people who are mentally ill and they're not um, on their 
regimen, right? It's a different thing with people who actually can be helped by alternative means, but don't have the resources to do so or have been slipping through the cracks. Like that to me is a real tragedy. But there are examples in which people for example, the terminally ill. Yeah, they've made the rational decision. They've made the rational decision. They're in a lot of pain. And why would we take that choice? The thing is, we do it for our pets. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Like, Fido's in pain. I would hate to see him suffer. I'm going to put him out of his misery. And then the minute you apply that to a human being, it's like, that's wrong? No, it's wrong not to do that. It's... Even more justified because the person is sentient. Exactly. Like my dog. Oh gosh, I don't want to think about it. He's too young and he's too healthy. But I mean, your dog. I have a cat and I have the same thing. I I can't think of anything much worse than when my cat is old, making it live old and decrepit and in pain when it's basically like meow yeah exactly yeah it's like i could not stand you couldn't do and then we actively do things to keep them alive right give them all these medicines and things to keep. and so i do think it's obviously complicated and it's it's not black and white but it is something i'm really interested in and as the laws change i think in california if I do complete my studies, I always want to like, I hate to say like, when I this, because yeah. I, it's like, who knows what's going to happen. <laughs> but, and, and if I earn my license and, and I'm able to, to practice in this field, um, it's definitely, I think, going to be an aspect of, of what I do for sure is counseling through those kinds of de- decisions. Yeah. Um, what about here? Is it legal in New Zealand? Uh, no. Is it common? Like, do people do it anyway? I don't know. Do they? I mean, probably. Oh, talking about euthanasia or suicide? Euthanasia. Oh, euthanasia. assisted suicide. So yeah, euthanasia. There no, probably I mean, are people that do. I don't think there's an industry person. Gotcha. Right? There isn't a lot of people that go around. Yeah, I mean, there have been bills that have been approaching trying mm. to get through. People are talking about yeah. it. I mean, I've, yeah. I've, I've, I've been at least one thing. Facebook group at the moment that's um, end of life choices New Zealand or something like that. If mm-hmm. you want to look it up. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and they're yeah, pretty much. Skeptics that are advocating for it. Yeah, it does seem to be sort of a kind of science, evidence-based, and definitely a little more progressive, a liberal sort yeah, of viewpoint. viewpoint. Yeah. But I think that our, it's also quite libertarian in a way in the oh, United yes. States, and yes. so you do see some more kind of conservative um, or independent individuals who are advocating for it. It's just the ultra conservatives that are kind of the um, the. I would say the Christian right, you know, the religious right, because it's within the teachings. And that's really, I think, the biggest argument. How do you say that? I know, but is it actually? I don't know. Actually, in the Bible, it says people can't commit suicide. It's very much a Catholic thing. It's a very Catholic thing. It's a very certain, it's a deadly certain. And also, is there anything that says that, like, the, that a healthcare provider shouldn't have, you know, the options to ease people into their final hours in a way that's you know dignified because they do it anyway that's the thing exactly when you're at your last breath you're basically when you're in palliative care healthcare providers will often push morphine um and they're not actively you know assisting in death but they're basically for the pain yeah and kind of steve novella talked about it recently on skeptics guide we were discussing it and he was saying well basically it's a treatment for um 
what do they call it? Um, air hunger, because that's a quite common experience in the in the hours before you die is that you gasp yeah, for yeah. air okay. and you're, you're just you, it, and it really okay. feels like you're you're um, drowning. Yeah. You know, you can't get enough air. And so morphine is actually a very good treatment for that. And it calms people. But they often slip into unconsciousness. And then it actually does hasten death. Sure, right. But at that point, yeah. nobody's going to complain about it. No, We're talking sure, about the final sure, hours sure. as opposed to the yeah. final months or years. Yeah. 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 So that's about all the time you promised us. That's so depressing. Can we talk about something happier right um, before we end? Well, at the end of every interview, we always ask two questions. Oh, no. <laughs> we don't okay. always ask two questions. We always ask one question. But before oh, we ask that one question. You want the other two? Could we do the two? I, we should um, do and it. And those who don't know, because Craig hasn't listened to all the media. Craig. Craig. I love it. It's so different. In the United States, you'd be Craig. Oh, Craig. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. And, uh, yeah, that's just weird it's the way just weird, yeah. pronounced my name. The way it's pronounced Craig. Yeah, it's yeah. true. But then again, you guys, Kiwis also say Melbourne, right? Like yeah. Melbourne. Melbourne. It's yeah. spelled Melbourne. Yes. <laughs> Australians say Melbourne. Australians well. say straight up Melbourne. They taught me that because I was saying Melbourne. I was like, no, I'm doing it right. And they were like, it's not Melbourne. I'm not saying Melbourne. I'm saying Melbourne. And they were like, drop the R. Because you've got a Melbourne or a Melbourne in Florida. Yeah, exactly. So how is that pronounced in America? I don't know in Florida. But they do it all the time in America. There's Houston, Texas, you know, where the hurricane recently hit. And then there's Houston in New York. Soho is South Houston. I did not Yeah, if you've heard of Soho. Yeah, Soho in New York is South Houston. It's a different guy. Weird. It's named for a totally different dude who pronounced his name differently. It's amazing that's managed to hold on. I know. It hasn't shifted over. And you also see it in Los Angeles. There are two roads called R-O-D-E-O. Rodeo Drive in Beverly Hills and Rodeo Road in South LA. Oh, oh, wow. They're spelled the same. (laughs) Anyway. The two questions questions. are in your own life or... As a global thing, mm-hmm. what is now? I'm trying to get it wrong now. I look like an idiot. I never know how to ask them either. I started asking it's these two questions. It's slightly different every time. I know like because they're kind of an obnoxious question to ask, but I do it anyway. Oh, that's nice. a Let's do it. Nice okay. So, uh, what is the thing that keeps you up at night? Yes. And on the positive side, yes. what is the thing you're most hopeful for? Okay. So, the thing that keeps me up the most at night, um, if I were to be self-indulgent and narcissistic and talk about myself, it would be uh, getting things done to the point that everybody's happy, but that I'm also taking care of myself. But really, I think I'm much more interested in the, the kind of global answer to that. And the most common answer on my show is climate change. Mm-hmm. Everybody is like really thinking a lot about climate change right now for good reason. Um, but for me, climate change is one example or one symptom of a sort of larger problem that really comes down to tribalism. I think underlying a lot of real issues mm-hmm. in in kind of American but also global society. Jingoism, sort of. Yes, is this idea that like we are us and they are other, and it's a tough one from a scientific perspective because it has evolutionary advantage to it, sure. and we kind of understand psychologically and sociologically why people think that way. But it makes I, sense. It makes sense, but we're also at a place now where we should be beyond that mm. kind of from a, I don't know, a we cognitive. We can be able to take a bigger picture view Absolutely. and see, look 
what the hell we're doing. And, uh, and I think that's one thing that a lot of astronauts are doing so beautifully right now. You'll see a lot of books that are being written by astronauts talking about the global perspective or talking yeah, about, right. you know, views from the ISS that when they look down, they see all of Earth in one fell swoop. And they, it, you really and it's not do. Flat. And it's not flat. <laughs> it's quite round. And also, it's like, all oh, those people are on that same marble. Yeah. And the minute that you take yourself out of it and you see it in that way, all the differences between us start to become, you know, washed out. And it's something that I'm noticing a lot in my psychology studies, too, is we talk a lot about um, kind of cultural perspectives and we talk a lot about social justice. I go to a very progressive school where social justice is really enforced and it's important that we think about things from that yeah. perspective. But that said, the other side of the coin when we're talking about um, cultural sensitivity and cultural considerations is that within groups differences are often greater than between groups differences mm -hmm. the yeah. individual as a functioning being is so unique i said so unique you're not supposed to do that it's unique <laughs> to the extent edit that out now right <laughs> it's unique to the extent that i could find things about you and things about you that are incredibly personal and then i could take somebody you know, who hails from Indonesia or somebody who hails from Alaska or somebody who hails from anywhere on the globe. And I could find something, yeah, something very common yeah, between yeah, you yeah. and the things that are different are just different categories of things that are maybe more salient to us because we can see them or we can hear them or we can smell them or, you know, mm -hmm. whatever the case may be. And so I do think that this, this, preoccupation that we have with finding ways that we can separate ourselves from other people and not just think of them as other because that's the first step but think of them as less than yeah, and that's historically right. always been a problem yeah, in yeah. every major culture we can look to our dark past and we can see the mistakes that we've made um and sometimes yeah. we see them being reiterated so that's that that's <laughs> the thing that most keeps me up at night um the thing that i'm most hopeful and excited about is um the progress that we are making and i use progress as a pretty broad term, but I mentioned this in my talk earlier, that part of the reason the Trump situation is so jarring to the entire world right now is because it's coming on the heels of great progress. It wouldn't yeah. feel so awful if everything weren't so good. kind of generally good, right? And if you look back uh, in, the, in the past a decade or a century or a millennium, oh my goodness, have we improved. I mean, lifespan is, is longer than it ever was. Infant mortality is lower than it ever was. We have a quality of life that just Hang on. didn't exist. So you, really, that is it. I, I'm, I'm excited by the fact that we are living our best lives and we are more um, comfortable than we've ever been in the past. Mm. But with that kind of comfort comes consumption. And with that kind of consumption comes an, an increasing need, I think, for... Um, a sense of sort of shepherding of the planet. Mm -hmm. It comes with a really increased need for balancing consumption with, I guess, being renewable. Yeah, you might yeah, want to say stewardship. Yes, stewardship exactly. But I think yeah. one of the biggest problems is that all the politicians are still focused on growth and that everything has to continue growing, and that's a recipe for disaster. Absolutely, and the politicians are really. Um, 
they they kind of have this this viewpoint or this perspective that I think is reflective of at least American culture as a whole, which is quite detrimental, which is this sort of power of positive thinking. If I just always talk about everything being roses and I always say that every that we're going to make everything great and we're never yeah. going to apologize for our mistakes because we don't make mistakes yeah. and everything's always going to be awesome and it's we're going to make these decisions to keep it awesome. It's it's this sort of lack of reality, yeah. this, this blinders, this road rose-colored glasses viewpoint that's really not setting us up setting us up for the strongest future no, right <laughs> it's dangerous and it it's spread into all aspects of culture it's horrible i always recommend a book by barbara ehrenreich called um bright-sided how the power of positive thinking is um, undermining america wow. and it's a okay. really interesting read that i think makes people think about things a little bit differently because most people say how could positive thinking be a bad yeah. thing, right? Exactly. It's always good to think positively. Um, and I'm not saying it's not, but what I am saying is that at all costs, it can be really detrimental yeah. in a lot of different aspects. There's an over-reliance. Oh, yeah. Detrimental to the economy, detrimental to our mental health, detrimental yeah. to relationships, all those yeah. things. The character, yeah, especially when it goes to the suffering. It's fine. It's fine. Just everything's on fire. Especially when it doesn't actually produce the results. Exactly. And then you just rewrite history. I mean, it really is kind of what this secret is all about, right? If I just will things to be, and then all of a sudden things don't go your way, and it's because it's your you fault. It's your fault. Oh, yeah, you didn't yeah. try hard enough. It's the whole uh, kind of paradox of the cancer, uh, not the paradox, but the, what's the word I'm looking for? I can't remember words when I'm in other countries. No, this is always a problem. <laughs> I can remember the word aphasia, which is what I'm suffering from right now. Um, Alcohol usually. <laughs> but it's the whole issue of like, you are... Um, simultaneously calling somebody who who lived past cancer a survivor yeah. and somebody who died from cancer a victim. Mm. And I think that's quite a dangerous viewpoint. And oftentimes it really is because, well, she fought really hard. That's why she's still with yeah, us. Yeah, and it's like, yeah. no, it's a freaking crapshoot. Yeah, it's total yeah. luck of the yep. draw. Yep. Okay, so the one... Oh, do you want to... Do <laughs> she just don't talk so much. I know. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens when you... Podcast with a podcaster. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the question we normally ask, and you've done a few interviews with people as, as an interviewee. I will sit quietly and listen now. Okay. <laughs> um, what's the one question that nobody ever asks you but you wish they would? Oh, that's a hard question. Yeah. What's the one question nobody ever asks me but I wish that they would? Well, they ask about my upbringing um, my religious background, and they ask about education. And they ask... I See, I'm one of these, I'm buying time right now, by the way. I'm, I'm one of these lucky people who kind of does what I'm really passionate about. And so a lot of times people do ask me things, ask me about things that, you know, are things that really matter to me because they're the things that I kind of wear on my sleeve. Um, I guess... I like your stars. Uh, thank you. I've got star points. <laughs> yeah, so... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I mean, sometimes people ask me about mental health, but I wish that they would ask a little bit more because of that stigma problem that we have. But that, see, that's not a good answer because most people never ask me. No one's going to judge you if you don't come up with a really, really great answer. Just, ah! This is the, your chance to just talk about anything we haven't covered that you want to say talk about anything i guess it's like really getting into like deep philosophy stuff like existential stuff people don't usually stop and actually talk about existential issues very often but i kind of feel like as i'm um 
as I'm getting older, I'm more interested in existential issues. And that's really the field of psychology that I'm going into is this existential humanistic approach to psychology. And it fascinates me because it really is based on these kind of um, principles of Kierkegaard and Nietzsche and Sartre and all of these um, early sort of existential philosophers um, and kind of Russian, like writers of Russian literature, like Dostoevsky and Tolstoy. Um, and really, basically, like the nature of being, the nature of what it means to be alive and what kind of comes along with that, sort of the, the joys, but also the sorrows. I think one thing that resonates for me and one thing that I enjoy discussing with people, although nobody really wants to talk about it, is the idea of ambivalence. I think one of the big goals of being kind of a, a human being who's quite alert and a human being who's quite um, aware is being able to sit with ambivalence. This is a goal of therapy for a lot of people, okay. right? Is like to have two competing feelings at the same time about something. And we all have yeah. that, right? We simultaneously like might love and resent somebody. And it's really hard for us to square that circle. And it's so instead we just avoid feeling certain things or we yeah, ignore the right. fact that we do. And there's some real truths of life of sort of existential truths, kind of like, I think a big one is freedom versus uh, responsibility. We all simultaneously really grapple with these two things in our lives. We want to be ultimately free, but that can be quite jarring and un uncomfortable for people to not to be completely rudderless. This is why people right. like to yeah, set sure, their yeah, truths. Sure, right, right. But, without, without boundaries. Absolutely. But at the same time, when too many boundaries are imposed on us, we feel quite trapped and mm -hmm. like we're, we're, uh, being smothered. And so we always are trying to find the right balance, but oftentimes we're experiencing both of those things at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, that's really a goal in my life. Like I will feel kind of as Maslow put it, like actualized to use like the most douchey term, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I will feel like I'm moving towards something that's like kind of bigger than myself. If I can really grapple with those, those truths. And so those are the kinds of things I like to talk about. But in question form, I don't know. That's up to you. No, that's You're the interviewer. <laughs> I just wish we had more time. Right? It sounds like a great conversation. Oh, yeah. Because we could write like a multi-volume series no, about really this good. together. Yeah. Not that, that sounds like a commitment to me. We'll, I know. This one's coming out next week. <laughs> right. Awesome. Kara plus the uh, Completely Unnecessary Skeptical Podcast presents Existentialism 101. <laughs> I need to read up a little more, you guys. <laughs> well, I promise if you come and talk to us later, or at least me, I'm not speaking for Craig, that I will talk to you about existentialism as much as you like. Wonderful. Uh, as long as I get a selfie with the Archaeopteryx. Oh, yes, please. Yes. I'd love it. Oh, awesome. <laughs> cool. So thank you very much. Thank you, Cara. Santa awesome. Maria. Thank you, guys. Absolutely. Wow, what a great interview that was. That was fantastic. What a great interview. We just Such oh, insightful so, questions. I'm so jealous that I didn't get to do it with you You haven't guys. even heard it yet, have you, Susie? No. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, it's pretty good. She it seemed very nice, though. It was good. It yeah, was good it was good. It's very good. So, next segment is Woo Zealand. And big exciting news, or it seems exciting from what I've seen, is Daniel Ryan had a, pub, a paper published in the mm. New Zealand Medical Journal. He did. About acupuncture. Yeah, well, it was about the claims made by acupuncturists on their websites about what they could treat. Yes. And, and essentially the fact that a lot of those claims contravened the rules. And they were mm. sort of pointing that out. But um, the, the conversation... The acupuncturists. Yeah, but the conversation the acupuncturists want to have is that they think it's a big criticism of whether acupuncture works or not. Yeah. 
um, which which it doesn't. They've sort of hijacked right. the, conver- the conversation to yeah to do that. But anyway, um, but yes, yeah, so it, it, it's it's I guess quite is his paper impressive open to for me. people to read. I'm not sure about that. But it's interesting that he, as a layperson, was able to write this paper and have it published in the New Zealand Medical Journal, which I think is a great thing. Hmm. Yeah. Um, although the fact but that he, course, as a layperson, has yes. been roundly attacked by... Um, by the acupuncturists. Yes. Yeah. The fact that he's just a software developer with no background in science or anything like that. Or as an article I read today, referred to him as a computer developer. Huh. Yeah, so it's it's uh, it's wow. it's shut. You can't look at it, but oh. you can look at the summary in the abstract. Okay. And he is now published. And you can read the articles. Right? I don't know if the articles are any good or not. But, um, so anyway, you can't um, read the article. so he no, has appeared in various media. Oh yes. Um, he was on various radio shows. Um, mentioned and, from um, Steve Novella, I believe, on the science-based medicines. Yeah. yeah so yeah. So Stephen Novella has. Um, written an article in which he has promoted um, Daniel's paper. And apparently Richard Dawkins also um, shared it on his network. And apparently, so so part of this was that um, the TVNZ breakfast program got a woman by the name of Katie Roberts, if I remember correctly, on and she, as, an, as a representative of Acupuncture New Zealand to talk about how wonderful acupuncture is and she was interviewed by Hilary Barry who said that acupuncture is amazing uh, but she kept referring to this um, evidence for acupuncture called the Acupuncture Evidence Project hmm. um, which from what I've read was a project that was run by the acupuncture industry in Australia um, and that sounds so, biased. Yeah, so Edzard Ernst has just come out within the last day or so and written essentially a review of that um, research. And wow. so it, it is all just sort of happening at the moment, interestingly. I, I don't know whether his um, review of that research was based upon uh, this paper that Daniel wrote or, or not, or whether it's just coincidence. But yeah, it did. It's kind of interesting that's all come out at the same time more publicity for everything yeah Yeah, so So, but the 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 acupuncturists are definitely um riled by this so this was this was done under the auspices of the society for science-based healthcare which is a charitable organization in new zealand and that was kind of Split off from the New Zealand Skeptic Society. Not split off. It was a. It's an offshoot. Well, not split off. There were there were pe- yeah an offshoot. Yes, or a front organisation, as some people have referred to it as. <laughs> <laughs> um, but interestingly, on Facebook you can find a page called the New Zealand Society for Science Based Medicine, oh. which was obviously set up in order to impersonate the Society for Science Based Health or Science Based Medicine. Um. And they have, they are writing articles that are strongly promoting acupuncture and homeopathy and supposedly without the sceptical dogma. Ooh. 
So I would encourage anybody to make a complaint to Facebook about this page because they're clearly trying they to pass themselves off yeah, as, yeah. as a society in New Zealand, which they are definitely not. That's best healthcare. So hopefully Facebook might actually do something about it. <laughs> Who knows? Tell but one, one thing that they have done is that um, the official page has now been verified by Facebook. Oh, nice. Which is a which is a good. Oh, yes, he uh, he yeah. posted about that the other day, so that went through, did it? Yes. Nice. Yep. So Facebook have now accepted that as they are the official cool. Society for Science Based Medicine. If you if you go and have a look at the other page, you'll see that the icon they've used is very similar yeah. to the interesting icon they're using as well. well, well so they're definitely trying to pass um, themselves off. Yes. Maybe maybe have some sort of campaign to to mass complain about it. Um, okay, so moving mm. along quickly to Delia's dubious device of the week. Ah, oh, yeah, it's a it's goodie. A it's a goodie. It's a um, uh, what's it called? It's got the it's called the Lasbot. 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 Um, <laughs> laser watch. Laser um, watch. That the, just sounds awesome. Uh, so, laser watch. Okay, so. The idea behind it is it looks like a watch, um, but it has uh, no, 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 just, just well, to clarify here, it like does a, have okay, it's something you wear it on your does wrist. Have the, yeah. In the picture, it does have the time on it. it so it is by definition a watch. So let's give them that at least. <laughs> um, and then it has on the, uh, as, so imagine um, with the where the face is, on the other side of the face is apparently a whole bit, series of lasers um, that will beam irradiate. Um, they light, irradiate red your light. blood, Susie. It radiate. So, well, yes. Wow. Anyway, uh, but but in the in the right places, yeah. um, they irradiate. Let's have a look. Um, where do they That's irradiate? There, there's there's a few different oh, kinds. Yeah. Oh, different ones. <laughs> this one, um, this one is four hundred US Jeez. dollars. Um, it is. Let's have a look. It's got. So 650 nanometer wavelength of light. That's red. Uh, oh, hang on. Okay, so it's got what? Yes, I know. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten different um, lasers. Uh, they do the radial artery, the Dailing acupoint, um, some one uh, another acupoint I can't pronounce, um, and then oh, and then more I can't pronounce actually. So a whole bunch of acupo acupoints. Um, and the claim is that actually the, the video I watched, the guy was claiming it can treat diabetes. Hmm. So you wear Along this for thirty minutes a day, <laughs> and then. But this also, I believe, it comes with an attachment that has. Um, how would you describe it? Well, no, they look like little, little, like a cross between two lightsabers yeah. Yeah. Uh, that look like chopsticks. Yes. Chopstick lightsabers. Yes. Can you imagine what you imagine, do with those? Imagine Where would you a put standard sci-fi laser, double laser cannon on the front of a of a spaceship. Yeah, it very yeah. much looks like that. Yeah, so they're they're designed they're designed to be put up one of your orifices. Oh, <laughs> oh it's like a nasal thing. It's your nose. You yeah. put them up your nose, and then. They That's not where radiate. you were going with that. Was <laughs> I don't it? think Nathan. it was. That's why I thought I'd cut him off immediately. Um, yeah, so that's the um, the. Last spot, last spot, um, semiconductor laser treatment device. Well, I think it would be a last spot since it's a last, laser. Last, la well, laser pot then. Okay, laser pot. It, it's just interesting. A really awkward name it says, how you try and do it. And it's just yeah. <laughs> it's, it, it says for 
for all those who are facing any of the following problems, and one of the following problems is insufficient blood circulation in the brain. <laughs> How do you tell that you've got insufficient blood circulation in Honestly, the brain? Honestly, if you've got insufficient blood circulation in the brain, you'd be unconscious or dead. But I like, right. I like um, that we can rely dead. on this watch because it's <laughs> a certified medical device, it's undergone successful clinical trials, and it's protected by a patent. How does that make <laughs> it reliable? Great. <laughs> what? <sighs> this is based anyway. in Czechoslovakia. Anyway, it's enough of that, is it? Um, so I don't. There think... is there is no Czechoslovakia. Oh, okay. Well, Czech Republic. The Czech Republic. Yes, sorry, wow. sorry. Crazy. Czech Republic. Can't you didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> I did know that. I'm just too old, and I still refer to it as the Czechoslovakia. Wow. Five milli five oh, milliwatt ooh, lasers there's each. Some... It's about it's about that, it's about equivalent big? to sort of your two dollar shop laser pointer. It's a laser pointer. Okay. Basically, in fact, so they're yeah. not going to hurt what anybody. What I suspect they're probably no. doing is they're probably using LEDs, the same sort of same sort of yeah. lasers you would get in one of those cheap laser pointers. Um, I'd be very surprised if these turned out to be actual diode based or you know proper professional lasers, just because. Yeah. They've got this right. this kind of an interesting thing. It's got it's got a, a down on the bottom of the web page. It's got a thing saying studies, experience, and certificates. Yeah. Hmm. So they have a c- c- certificate oh, conformity for um, what's this one? Well, they've got one. They've got a certificate that's basically it seems to be about um, um, design and development, manufacture and distribution. Oh. Uh, okay, they're allowed to make it anyway. There's and a clinical study like a from the Union Clinic. Did you have a look at that? Maybe it's all true. Oh, and oh, one from Tongji, whatever that is. Hmm. Anyway, okay. we'll, we'll look into those and we'll report back these. next week. How about that? Mm. <laughs> yeah, sure we will. <laughs> but we're not going to spend 400 US dollars on one of them. Well, I'm sorry. maybe we'll, we'll take no. up a collection and if, if we get enough money, we'll buy one. <laughs> trying to think what else I could do with 400 anyway. bucks right now. You have a word of the day, I believe, I Nathan. I do have a word of the day. I've prepared and I looked it up and everything in advance. Look at this. We have to do. Oh dear, okay. Just paste it Hit there with it. so you can see how it's spelt. Because it's a tricky one. Eye wash. wash. <laughs> E-Y-E wash. Okay. W-A-S-H. So presumably so this not... is not something that washes your eye. Right, maybe. Maybe it is. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it's a double bluff. Oh, you are Wine cool. in front of me moment, you guys. Well, what else could it be? Was was last week's exactly. word particularly difficult? Because in, in, that, in that, those cases, sometimes I give you an easy one the next time. <laughs> so the last one began with D. What was that? I was just uh, trying to remember what it was. If I remember correctly. Oh, that's right. It was something to do with removing a tail, a tail or something, wasn't mm. it? See, I remembered... Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to think how else you could possibly pronounce this. You saw the laser watch. In order, the eye wash. No, 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 <laughs> no. The the eye wash no, could I be pronounced it. Eye wash. A a wash. Is it is it an English word? Yeah, basically, it's a it's a not portmanteau. That's not the word I'm looking for. It's a compound word. Eye wash. Right. Okay. Well, well I believe the... that it is something that you use to wash, wash your, your eye eyes. out. Yeah. You're not both going to say that, are you? Well, well, what else could it be? Exactly. Well, that's what you're going to try and figure out, isn't it? It's the well, I don't think the there game. is anything else it could be. Okay. All right. So you're going with something you wash your eyes. I'm going for. I'll give you a clue. It's 
usually something somewhat interesting. The words that I choose, I try. And- oh, so this is a metaphorical meaning, is it? So something interesting. Oh, it's like when you don't want to see something. You know, like you kind of like, oh, yeah. I don't. I, that that the whole. Um, you know. Yeah. Yeah. No. I get. Yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're telling that. the story. Not yes. wanting to see something. Oh, not wanting to see something. Like, ponch- yeah. like wanting pon- to conscious pilot washing his eyes of the situation. Yes. <laughs> Try and okay. unsee yep. it. Yep. Yep. I believe Susie's the first. That's us. Yes, Craig. Yes. Well, I, I want <laughs> to dispute the fairness of this competition since you gave out the clue after I had given well, my answer. Well, you can answer. change your answer. I haven't written it down yet. <laughs> oh, well, it seems like a simple word. It seems like such a simple word. No, I don't. I don't. don't. Okay, tell us. Okay, I wash humbug, something done merely for effect. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you, see, you see the link? Well, I like the, the effect of washing of out my podcast. eyes. Yes, I do yeah. see the link. So that's a point for Nathan. And a zero and a zero. Oh, does anyone else here that wanted to guess? Too late. <laughs> Keep forgetting to ask. Yep. And that's it. All that right. Was, that was humbug. <sighs> right. It, okay. it was it was a reference to acupuncture, just in case you didn't get it. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. I'm helping. Craig, give us a quote to go out on. Okay. This is from And Andrian. Andrian. And I do believe that I have pronounced that correctly. Andrian, who was um, the one of the co-producers of Cosmos and married to Carl Sagan. Second wife, or, I want to say. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, I don't think she should be defined by the fact no, that she was Carl sorry. Sagan's Thank wife. Thank you. Thank you. The quote is, If you are searching for sacred knowledge and not just a palliative for your fears, then you will train yourself to be a good Skeptic. Mm, I like that because it works on different levels as well. As in, this is yes. what's going to happen, or this is what you need to do in order to achieve your goal. Uh, mm. See? Very double, deep, Nathan. Double meanings. <laughs> very nice. Very chopperish. And that does feel like <laughs> a very quick episode, but we have come to the end, and hopefully it works out to be about the right length with... Of course it will. That's the advantage of having an interview. Indeed. And we always somehow manage to do it, almost bang exactly on an hour and 20. So um, we'll just assume that it's right. Very good. And all remains for me to say is you've been listening to the Completely Unnecessary Skeptical Podcast. If you'd like to send us feedback or ask us any questions, uh, check out our Facebook or the Contact Us form at our website, thecusp.org.nz. 